Hello and welcome to Free From The Real, episode 155, brought to you by puremtgo.com, mtgotraders.com and capefeargames.com. You can hear us each week on mtgotraders.com, puremtgo.com and mtgcast.com. I'll be one of your hosts this week, AJ. With me as ever is Sebastian. Hey everybody. And Kia. Hey guys, how's it going? This is Ever is the Free from the Real podcast, bringing you all the news that's fit to listen to regarding the online game and things from the offline game which are of interest to us, such as the spoiling of the entire set, as planned anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we were going to lead off this uh, podcast with me giving you the four acapella versions of the new intro music that I had come up with, but my co-hosts uh, decided that would not be the best plan. So instead, we're going to talk about Dark Ascension. Mm-hmm. Let's see. One card that I didn't get to talk about last week that I really like is uh, Markov Warlord. I just saw this guy, uh, obviously, after we did the podcast, the full spoiler was out. And this is a really cool creature. I'm a big sucker for uh, red cards in general, and I just like it. And it's five and a red for a 4-4 vampire warrior with haste, who, when he enters the battlefield, two creatures can't block that turn. Which, uh, for me, I just really like some aggro strategies, so it just seems pretty good. I'm not sure if it's constructed viable or if it's going to be like a first pick card for me in Limited, as that's my style. It is very good in Limited. Um, yeah. I've had, a chance, I've had a chance to uh, see what it can do, both offensively and defensively, and it is it is murderous. I mean, you've got the um, Mythic Rare, which essentially does the same for Werewolves. Everything can only be attacked uh, blocked by two. And this is the same mana cost. It doesn't deal as much damage by a long way, but it's a very nice card. Yeah, I mean, I love uh, crossway vampires in Triple Innistrad, like the opportunity to sneak in damage with this guy, with that guy, and then this is just a super-duper jacked-up version of that card. So. Yeah, it's, it's a... I mean, Innistrad just... Well, introduce a lot of different interesting things into the format, and Dark Ascension seems to be expanding on it quite a bit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's we don't see a lot of new themes really coming out of the set. I mean, they've said that before, but just kind of the uh, extension and pushing of the uh, what was established for the block in Innistrad. I'm assuming both from the nature of the set, the name of the set, all the creative information we have about the next set and the fact that it is a large standalone draft set by itself that we're going to get a big left turn and have things change up quite a bit um, in Avacyn Restored, not just with the removal of double-faced cards, but you know, in, in a lot of other ways, both thematically. So it'll be interesting to see. But for now, it just seems like you can kind of... Well, they've continued to push the strategies that we have available to us in Innistrad Block and in Innistrad Limited. So... I don't see anything new standing out for uh, archetypes too much. Um, Sebastian, what about you? Uh, I mean, so it's what's my biggest thing is like how they. I wonder if there's like a difference in how they design the set, given that like we're this is the first time we're drafting Dark Ascension first before Innistrad. So it it seems like a lot of the cards are. I'm not sure if more powerful, but more like pushing you towards a specific type of strategy than before. Whereas like Dark Ascension would have traditionally been the card to like update your strategies. Now it's the card that sets your strategies upon which you build with uh, Innistrad. 
Yeah, no, I definitely see that. And one of the ones that are the cards that are always interesting to me in that respect would be kind of like your arcs, your like weird, like uncommon, like archetype builders. Like a good example would be Secrets of the Dead. Like that's a card that you can look at. And if you get that maybe like the middle of pack one, because it's going to be Dark Ascension, it'll push you into that and you can re, you reprioritize the cards you need in the Innistrad packs. It's just, it changes the pick order so dramatically. Uh, now that Innistrad is not the first set to be drafted, because now you're not looking to sh- evaluate cards strictly on power level from the set. It's now more about what fits into the the type of deck you're trying to draft. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Any other interesting cards we didn't get to talk about last week that uh, you'll be interested in? Uh, you know... Honestly, like having had the chance to look at the set for a more holistic group approach, I'm really happy with it. Like, I don't see like I mean, sure there are like some nitpicky things you can come come with, but like generally speaking, like Dark Ascension seems to be very cool. Um, I love like how the uh, the black white mechanics seem to all work together very well. Like for example, uh, if you guys look at the lands, like I said before last week, uh, Vault of the Archangel works really well with a lot of black and white creatures. Like they they have like they have the, like a high power or a low power, or but more importantly, like like a low toughness. And so, like having the ability to give them life link and death touch is just so ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and giving your obviously, if you're playing like black white, there's a good chance you're playing some kind of token archetype, uh, mm-hmm. especially instructed. Giving them death touch is just huge in that situation because it really limits your opponent's ability to attack. Yeah, um, I mean, but like in terms of just like interesting cards, I like and I, I really would like to. Uh, um, See see more play of. Um, I think Black Cat is by far one of the funnier things that have been printed in a really long time. The flavor I think is just absolutely hilarious. Um, so for you, for you, for those of you who don't know, you probably won't see this very often. It's a common one in a black. It's a one-one zombie cat, which is funny to begin with. But when Black Cat dies, target opponent discards a card at random. Not a very good card, just really funny in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of really well-designed, flavorful cards. In the set, and that is definitely one of them. Yeah, uh, it's 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 almost as if like the entire like lifting of the uh, pre like there was a huge lifting a few years back on oh like we're no longer be so concerned about like demons and devils and whatnot. And since then, like the flavor has gotten really good, and I feel like this is the first set that really takes advantage of the of their like newfound freedom in the demonic realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they've done a good job with it. Uh, Certainly from a creative and flavorful standpoint, like you said, there's a lot of interesting ones. Uh, the pre-release card, you know, Ravenous Demon, uh, the ability to sacrifice a human to become an all-powerful super demon is very cool. Um, the demon trapped in this, like, I still say that's gotta be the best, one of the most flavorful cards in the set that we talked about last week is the, the dual-sided equipment mm-hmm. that transforms yeah. into the demon, so you're unleashing it. Um, Great. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen Increasing Ambition, the tutor? The flashback tutor? Because that was one of the cards I I didn't see until recently. The black one? Yeah, it's the black one that has flashback, and it theoretically can search for uh, for three cards. Yeah, that's right. You you cast it and search for one, and then flash it back to search for two. Yeah, that one. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thoughts on its playability? (sighs) Five mana's a lot. (laughs) I mean... This is true. You know, like, you know Zvi was the, I think it was Zvi Mashwood who famously said back in the day, like, you know, f- four mana was the threshold at which you're playing spells that should win you the game. Obviously, that was years and years and years ago, and, you know, the world of magic has changed 
the design of magic and the nature of games of magic are very different. And we've seen, obviously, especially with Titans, that something other than four mana can be successfully played. So, uh, I mean, I like the card. I don't know if it's playable. Um, the, the flashback is really tempting to get two cards. Agreed. Mm-hmm. In a more t- in a more control oriented format, uh, it could definitely see some play. Yeah, I, mean, I can definitely see it seeing some play in like a black um, black blue control deck, similar to the ones we've had recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, those decks tend to have a lot of problems finding spells to end the game, to say the least. So it's uh, having a card that can like search you up. Uh, a card is great. My only concern is that it's not an instant speed card. It feels instant speed to be broken, but like it's it's one of those like between spaces where it's not quite broken and so therefore they made it a lot worse and so now it's like possibly not very good so yeah because the biggest problem is especially in like if you're running like a black blue archetype you you give your opponent either five or six mana depending upon whether or not they play or drew to have an opportunity to unload while you're tapped out so i mean the card you go search for has to be pretty potent because you have to deal with what's already going on in the game and what they've already developed and then what they could potentially play out uh, while you've tapped out and can't counter anything in that situation, right. you know. I mean, it'd yeah. be. I mean, it's great to think in theory going like turn five, increasing him, or turn four if you accelerate, like increasing ambition, and then follow it up by the, getting the grave titan you just searched for. But if your opponent has more potent plays that they make while you're tapped down, may not be that great. Yeah. So did you have a chance to play uh, Dark Ascension this past weekend? Uh, I did not. It's been. Uh, it was a little crazy, pretty busy this weekend, so I didn't get to make it out to a pre-release. I would have liked to. Uh, unfortunately, I did not. How about you? I, I wasn't able to, but I, I've been trying to get to the sense of what people thought, and people say that like it's a really interesting change. I'm very, it's uh, no one realized how big a change switching up the order could be. Uh, Dark Ascension seems to be putting a lot of pressure in terms of like pick order for a lot of cards, um, mm-hmm. more so than before, which makes it even more interesting because it's a uh, like if if you start off with like a red um like there's more multicolor spells, they're more powerful like end game spells that really changes up the draft order, which i I hear is pretty cool, but no one exactly was sure how it'll do it further on, yeah, no, it definitely, and one of the things that I've just seen, and I don't know how much of an effect it's had, I feel like there's a bigger barrier on uh some cards like as far as color mana requirements go. Like, when you look at some of the cards, like Garolf's Messenger, at first I thought it was just in black, you know, because they tend to have more of their mana symbols appear on cards, with things like Micaeus the Unhallowed being triple black, um, and Garolf's Messenger being triple black. But then looking at the set, it feels like there's a lot of cards that have double and triple mana requirements in their colors, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's just really kind of tricky, uh, you know, especially when you want to play multiple colors and maybe some off-colored land for flashback spells. Uh, in different colors because they have both on, you know, uh, allied colored and enemy colored flashback spells. I'm just not sure how big of an impact that makes, but it seems it's something to keep in mind, I think, um, to be careful about that so you don't lose too many games to just not being able to meet your color requirements in a reasonable time. Like, obviously, Strangle Root Geist is a great card. Girl's Messenger is a great card. Trying to play them both in the same deck and limited, or even constructed for that matter, uh, probably not the best plan. <laughs> Exactly. I, I mean, it's, 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 you, you bring up a great point, which is that um, had you had drafted two, um, two packs of Innistrad first, you'd be, oh, I'm like in these colors, I can afford to go triple black and draft the case. I mean, you should anyway, anyway, right now, but like, it, it gives you like a little bit more flexibility there. 
Yeah, I think that it looks like they did a good job because I feel like that's more prevalent in Dark Ascension than it is uh, in Innistrad. Mm-hmm. Look, as if they knew ahead of time. Yeah, weird. I think that Wizards could be planning things out in advance. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's been a great change, and um, I'm looking forward to it. I know the uh, Dark Ascension beta is progressing, and so it seems like it's one of those things that... Um, I'm sure, like, AJ will have something to say about how, like, much fun it's been, or what cards are more broken than we previously thought. Well, in, yeah. term, in terms of the beta, um, what goes on in beta stays in beta. Exactly. So, uh, like a much blander, nerdier version of Las Vegas. Well, it's more sort of um, Omerta, if you will. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's... Um, it's the set's progressing nicely. I've not seen any major significant bugs. Um, I can't exactly uh, say which client we're testing it in. Yeah. Um, Take that for whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say one way or the other. Neither confirm nor deny. Um, Thanks, Senator. <laughs> Minister, please, I'm British. Yeah, my, my bad, my bad. I don't know what you all have. Provincial rulers, or I don't, I don't even know what to call them. <laughs> Sir. All right, fair enough. <laughs> well, you're an American, so that's the reason. Yeah. Any any interesting cards from Dark Ascension, AJ, that you wanted to touch on? The mini lords really are that powerful, especially in um, limited and definitely in uh, um, constructed. That would be the uh, captains, the Immerwolf. Um, they do their job very well indeed. Yeah, I'm I'm already dreaming of the day that I like end up like first picking the vampire captain and get like past one shortly thereafter. Like to have like two of those within like the first like three or four picks. I oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like I want to I want to draft those every time I see them just in case because if you, I feel like if you get two of them like your limited deck is just insane. Mm-hmm. You know, so oh, very tempting. Uh, some of the new werewolves are a bit hit or miss, as you'd expect from werewolves. If you can transform some of them early, like the um, uh, one, two for three, which becomes a four-five um, uh, Ephidian, it's it's a lot more useful if you can get it to change than if you can just sit it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I feel like there's even there's even a greater imbalance on these werewolves than there were in the Innistrad ones, where their their front side is really Incredibly lackluster, yeah. but the opposite <laughs> side is just goodness gracious. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, to see how the, that affects like the you know because now that you don't have to you don't have to play a guessing game on cards like uh, Moon Mist, you know like so if you've already had a whole pack where that you could just sit there and stack up werewolves and not have to switch decide between do I want to take this activator or do I want to take another creature that fits into my deck, you can just go hardcore werewolves in pack one and then you're free to pick up more Moon Mists. You know, earliest opportunity. Yeah, I suppose so. Exactly. Yeah, because you don't have to fight between. Well, I still need more werewolves in order to make Moonwisp worthwhile. Whereas now you can be like, oh, I already have like seven of them. Cool. So. It's an interesting idea focusing on the um, enablers uh, over the. Um, although if you get past a rare werewolf, then you got it made anyway. Yeah. That's that's it's such a weird difference, and I think the werewolf strategy has got to be the biggest difference between Magic Online and Magic Offline, uh, given that you can see uh, whenever people are 
drafting werewolves um, in real life, and you still have no idea online. Yeah. That's quite an interesting tell, really. Um, what would you say would be the best anti-werewolf strategy? Just lots of cheap stuff? Uh, blue. Um, I found like blue decks in general seem to be a bigger problem uh, for wolves because you have so many cheap instants uh, and cheap cards with flashback. So you can really mess people up. You have the opportunity to maybe if they, you know, if they pass a turn without a spell, you could end of turn like think twice or something and, and keep their werewolves unflipped um, and really cost them a lot tempo wise. Yep. Cards like Silent Departure are just devastating for them. And then it's much easier for blue decks, it seems, to be able to cast uh, two spells in a turn in order to flip the werewolves back. Like in my experience, every time I've drafted werewolves, um, blue has always been the hardest matchup. And whenever I've played blue, werewolves has been my easiest matchup. Yeah. And of course, you've got that new um, one drop, one flashback um, uh, unblockability spell. Yeah, there's there's quite a few like little cheap spells that really make it uh, easy for blue to deal with werewolves, it seems. Hmm. Uh, Saving Grasp is another great one, obviously. If they have, you know, burnt um, brimstone volleys, you can save your creature and, you know, block and flash it back and flip their werewolves over. There's a, there's a lot of things blue can really do to mess with them. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I believe that... Um Pretty much covers that. Um, anything else in the news which we haven't covered yet? Uh, just to talk about briefly, I mean, not that it's really news, but it's something, you know, that's that we have a Tumblr account piece of information from Mark Rosewater saying that Tarmogoyf is never really considered for Innistrad block uh, for not fitting the flavor and is not going to appear there. So for those of you that were holding out hope for whatever reason that Tarmogoyf would appear in Avacyn Resort, you can let that hope die. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to appear in the next set after. Man, I hope not, because I can already just looking at it like, oh, especially now that with the new uh, mental note thought scour that was printed, I can't imagine how many standard games would just be turn one, thought scour, flip over two cards, turn two, uh, Tarmogoyf, turn three, um, the new impulse where you look at four cards and then put three in the graveyard. Like that's. That is not okay. <laughs> no. You would regularly have turn three attack for four after I've just played blue filter spells. Like, Not really a fair situation, especially given the new color fixing. Exactly, yeah, that's just... Yeah, I can't imagine that he would be reprinted to coincide in standard with Innistrad block, and he's certainly not in Innistrad block. I don't... I mean, I just don't see him being reprinted in a standard set anytime soon, hmm. ever. Although Wizards have said they do intend to reprint some modern staples at some point in the near future, so it's a case of uh, how do you do that in a way which is accessible to the majority of people. Yeah, that's true, but I don't know that Tarmogoyf necessarily falls under the heading of modern staple. Like, there are plenty of decks that you can play without him. I mean, he's good. I'm not, I'm, I am not by any way saying that Tarmogoyf is not a good card in modern. Yeah. He's very good. But, I mean, he only he's fits in everywhere. certain decks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he's good everywhere. But he doesn't go into a lot of decks, and since you have with banning of you know like Green Sun Zenith and Wild Nacatl and things like that, you don't see him in this super prevalent like green aggro deck anymore. He fits into other decks, and he's a good card to have. But that's like saying you know Bazaar of Baghdad is a problem. Well, it's only really in one deck in the format it's in. Yeah. Uh, so you can play, you can still play the format without him. I'd be more concerned about um, 
making sure that there's an availability of Ravnica block shocklands. Like, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles. Because yeah, pretty much any deck you're playing is going to have some number of those. Yeah, the Rav Shocks are um, going to be pretty key. It's going to be very interesting to see when we get them, especially given we've got the uh, fetches from Zendikar. Yeah, and they just work so well with that. I know for us online players it's kind of easy, because like, I think even right now we have Ravnica block draft queues up, mm-hmm. like Nick's, Nick's packs queues, so that they're helps. They're not worth it. It's, it's tempting, but they're never worth it. I mean... Unless you factor in fun value, they're worth it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's one the best draft set of all time. Yeah, one, like one, purely, purely EV wise, not so much. But if you factor in fun as part of your EV, then it definitely gets there because yeah, the block's awesome. There's a reason why Ravnica was one of the best sets um, in a number of years. Mm-hmm. Well, partly because it came between um, Cold Snap and uh, Kamigawa, neither of which were the world's big, greatest um, environments, but uh, it's really, really fun. Yeah, Ravnica has like the it's like the girl group ability. Like you know, you're you're with a couple of girls that aren't as pretty as you, so you just look better by comparison. So it has that same kind of effect going. Yeah. On top of that, <laughs> it's yeah. also really really fun. Yeah, it's like you know you're you're pretty good looking to start, but when you have a couple uggos next to you, like wow, she's like an eight eight and a half now. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize to any female viewers or listeners rather. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to was. both of you. I'm sorry to both of you. And now that our now our audience in that demographic is cut in half. <laughs> Following that joke, we're sorry to the one of you. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but yeah, no Tarmogoyf, not an Avacyn restored. You know, keep holding out hope, but uh, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then our final little bit of news is just we have the um, March. Uh, promo card for Thursday Night Magic Online announced, which is Tectonic Edge. Yay! Woo. Go playable cards. Mm-hmm. I love it, and I also love the um, the promo art. Yep. Oh yeah, the promo art is beautiful. There's a couple of these showing up in um, uh, the modern deck lists at the moment, aren't there? Yeah, it's actually it is. When we say playable, it's not just like a good card. Like playable, as in it is in decks that are being played right now. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. Uh, we've got Despise coming up this month now that um, January is over, which is a potentially usable card. Um, certainly better than some cards we've had in the past. Yeah. And then we'll have Tech Edge. Yep. Mm-hmm. Art is by Vincent Prose. I see that and I immediately think of a um, deceased horror film star. <laughs> Couple letters off. Mm-hmm. Oddly fitting for Innistrad block. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. <laughs> that was like uh, I remember thinking it was like the Lightning Helix art, and uh, or one of the, something in Boros that was done by like Zoltan Boros and. Gamble. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it's okay. like, it's like, did you did you do this on purpose? It's like you you know you have to do Boros card art. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great yeah. artist though. Oh yeah, but, yeah, definitely good stuff. Yes, and of course there's going to be a um, Gabor house next time we uh, get into a new set. <laughs> Make sure he can take down all those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess the only one was, are there. Any, there's no. Uh, what was it? Puddinhead, who did like the weird twisted art in sunsets. 
I don't think they were. I think they went for more of a much more of a gothic feel. I mean, you've got um, stained glass windows and angel sculptures all over in this drag, but you haven't really got anything. Um, well, you've got plenty of really, really twisted things, but not twisted in that way, if you see what I'm not saying. Not twisted in a physical sense, yeah. Yeah. Well, in some cases. Yeah. A couple of the zombies here, more stitched together. But, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And, of course, you've got some of the geists who are all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, yeah. Yep. Anyway, looking at the um, recent modern decks, what's um, what sort of price range would it be to make uh, something capable of winning a PTQ? Um, well, it really kind of depends on your style. Looking at the, the PTQs from the previous weekend, uh, the 21st and the 23rd, you got decks kind of all over the place. And, uh, I mean, if you can play as cheaply as, you know, just about $100 with, with a random storm deck using uh, just little accelerators, little cheap blue cantrips working your way up to a big Empty the Warrens or a uh, Grape Shot. And that deck can or be had play about... blue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, working your way up to $100, about $100. You can play Living In combo that uses a bunch of cheap little cycling dudes. Uh, and then hitting a free living in to build up a massive board that can be had for about ninety dollars, uh, hundred to one hundred twenty-five dollars, depending on which version. Or you could go in the complete opposite direction and build big old fat cobblade or rug and decks like that, which can get into the the five hundred, six hundred, and even seven hundred dollar price range. Yeah, uh, Jund is available for about six hundred. Cobblade typically goes from three fifty to four fifty. Uh, Affinity getting a spot in there at 250. Uh, but the winners of the two BTQs, you have a Fairies deck that took down the first one, and that deck came in at about 475 tickets. And then a Scepter, Isochron Scepter based control deck uh, for $330 that took down the next one. So, I mean, realistically, their prices are kind of all over the place. There's, the range of values in decks is over 600 tickets. So. It's kind of depends on your play style and what you want to work with as to what kind of deck you can build. And you have a lot of options because a lot of different decks can really do well. Yep. I and mean, you could buy about um, – it's a scary thought, but you could quite literally buy three of the cheapest decks for the price of the most expensive one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you, looking at it, if you wanted to get uh, – what is it? Living End, uh, Hive Mind Combo was up there. It got third and one, and then a Storm Deck. That would be cheaper than buying the most expensive deck, which was actually a really interesting entry. Um, so much for the, so that we didn't even really have a name for it, but it was played by Wirecat to a seventh place finish. And this was like a graveyard based Burning Vengeance deck that used things like Hakan with Nameless Inversion and Raven's Crime and Life in the Loam to do all sorts of weird, goofy stuff. Not sure how successful that deck can still be. I mean, it's very cool and interesting, but I think as people learn about it more, it'll be harder to successfully play it. Yeah, it might just be the rogue factor there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, you look at that card and basically you think, um, oh boy, Dredge is back, kill it. And exactly. the sideboard shift towards it. Yeah. And it's just, but it's also, and it also just, um, play experience. Like when you, I imagine the first time you run into that deck, especially if you ran into it at this PTQ, you had no idea what to do. Like, you don't know what's important. You're like, what What card do I go after? Can I deal with that card? Like, how how do I attack him? Like, do I go super aggressive? Do I try to be the beatdown? Or, 
you know, it's just very confusing to play against a deck that you have no idea exactly what its game plan is. Yes. So it makes it so hard to attack them. And you'll probably end up going, who the hell plays Death Cloud? Yeah, uh, I mean, yes. <laughs> that would be annoying. Yeah, having cards like Death Cloud and Smallpox can really mess people up, uh, especially when you're not expecting them. Yeah, I mean, when you're expecting a Smallpox, it's very easy to, like, say, oh, like, make sure you have a different land in play. Make sure now, like, if you're cognizant of that you play better against it. Exactly, yeah. So I'm sure the surprise factor contributed quite a bit um, to it. And I also know Wirecat's a pretty good player, uh, so um, I'm sure that also, you know, pilot skill uh, certainly came into effect there. Mm-hmm. Also, just looking at a couple of interesting statistics that we have, uh, the average price per card, so looking at all all these decks, at 75 cards per deck, uh, just the average price per card for these top eight decks is about $5. Um, which is, you know, it seems reasonable, which you think obviously that cost is split up between car- some cards that are five cents and some cards that are $80, you know, <laughs> no names in particular. Um, the average price of the decks, uh, looking at all of them is 375 tickets. And if you were really crazy and for whatever reason you wanted to own these exact sets of cards and contacted these people and bought them from them, buying all 16 of these decks would cost you a little over six grand. Yeah, you know, or you could have an entertainment center, like you know, your pick. Yeah. Do you want uh, sixteen decent modern decks, or at least decent at this moment in time, or do you want, say, a widescreen 3D TV? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a you know question of priorities, mm-hmm. and also obviously there's some overlap because they didn't all play unique cards from one another. This wasn't a unified top eight. <laughs> so there are there's quite a bit of overlap, but uh, it's just interesting, man. Like the prices are so so crazy sometimes. Hmm. But I mean, people have shown that you can still get through with decks that do not make use of every powerhouse card. Yep. In fact, in one of in one of these, there's um, uh, only one deck cresting 300, and then only just in the top four. Yeah, that's a uh, very true. Uh, looking at the the second top eight, we have the the scepter deck, which just barely gets there. But the other ones, I mean, Boros, pretty cheap deck to build, and oftentimes you probably have a lot of the cards just kind of sitting in your collection from commons and uncommons. Uh, Hive Mind combo uses a lot of offbeat cards that are just not worth a whole lot because they don't go into other decks. And then yeah, Esper Control features a lot of modern, like modern as in very recent to come out cards. Um, so they're available pretty cheap because they're not. Uh, it's the decks that contain a lot of cards, like from like Mirrodin Block and Ravnica Block, and those very early sets in the modern tournaments that tend to ring in at really, really high prices. Decks like Jund that feature, you know, Tarmogoyfs and Dark Confidants and lots of lands uh, from Ravnica Block. Those are the ones that really kick those prices way up. Yeah. Although the um, uh, headlining deck from uh, Mirrodin is uh, isn't that expensive. I mean, Affinity 260 compares. Um, Less than half of the most expensive ones. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, there's a couple of big, big expenditures. Uh, obviously, you need Arcbound Ravagers, some maybe some Glimmer Voids, and some Blink Moth Nexuses. But other than that, most of the cards are very recent. You see a lot more. Oddly enough, Affinity doesn't play a whole lot of Affinity cards anymore. Um, it really seems to consist mostly of cards from the Mirrodin 2.0 block, aka Scars of Mirrodin, um, with cheap creatures. Um, 
like Memnite and Vault Scourge, and then the uh, Metalcraft cards like Mox Opal and uh, Etched Champion. So Affinity small A rather than Affinity big A. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, but we'll see how this, you know, if this develops, if we do our modern prices at their pinnacle or are they still going to go up. We still have quite a few PTQs left, um, quite a bit of time left in the modern season. So it'll be interesting to see how much more of those cards can gain before they start to drop off. Okay. Right. All right. Our next segment we have is the question of the week. Um, and the first thing we'll do. <laughs> Yay. All right. And looking at last week's question, uh, we just have our winner there, and that'd be MadMath. Uh, congratulations. Go ahead and message me online, and I will get you your foil playset of Ravenous Traps. So, and then moving on, yep, we have this week's question, AJ. Now that we have the full extent of the cards in uh, Dark Ascension, are there any cards which are surprising in their absence rather than their presence? Is there anything which um, you think would fit right in here but isn't there and it's a glaring hole in the set as you got it? One thing that I had thought um, that we would see that I, I guess we, you know, that we didn't, and I don't know, I don't claim to be a flavor expert by any stretch, so and I don't know what's going on in the stories. I've read like two magic novels ever, so <laughs> I don't really know. Um but I thought it would have been cool and kind of expected to see some kind of legendary uh, angel or like fallen angel type character. Maybe some, um, you know, either an angel who's losing its power due to what's going on in the world of Innistrad, or maybe an angel that turned to the other side and maybe like some kind of black white angel or a black angel, or even a black red angel to go in like with the the de- demonic cult. Maybe they converted and they're like turning or like an angel that flipped into a devil or something like that. Sort of you know, like something. The- uh, Threshold Angel from um, uh, Odyssey. Odyssey, yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, something to that effect, like to fill that kind of role as like you know the fallen angel or like someone who betrays them and goes to the other side or mm-hmm. something like that. And I mean, I think there's like an angel or two in the set, but nothing that kind of plays into that role. And that may just not be not be something that fits into the story of Innistrad. But I just kind of thought that'd be neat. Well, it could be that they consider that trope to be played already in Magic. I mean, you've got um, Selenia, you've got um, li- the literal fallen angel, angel of despair. Um, Desolation angel. Exactly. All yeah, these... If you want to go for a little stretch, like Corona is technically a Chroma. Um, like, mm. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's a Chroma and Phage yeah. mixed together. That's technically a fallen something. Yeah. Well, it's more sort of yeah, a congealed something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely a trope that's been done. I just I didn't know if that was going to be something they would. I don't know. I something think I kind of expect to see. The twist they seem to be playing on it is having something evil be the redemption of the plane. I mean, you've got uh, uh, Soren showing up as a black white card and responsible for Avacyn. Yeah, that's that that's a good point. And I guess that would, in a sense, kind of fill that role. So it's more taken up by a planeswalker in yes. this sense. I, I just I guess I expected it to see it in a traditional. Angel role. Mm-hmm. Not so much a fallen angel as a risen demon, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Or vampire. Yeah, it's, well, you know, six and one, half a dozen the other. Mm-hmm. Right. What about you, AJ? Anything you felt was missing or expected? Well, from a gameplay point of view, there was um, a definite stepping back from um, 
that much incremental advantage. There's no flashback counter spells, for example. There's no um, equivalent to circular logic or similar um, that made um, such it's such fun to play against uh, psychotog decks back in the day. <laughs> yeah, that's what we called it, fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even Dwarf Fortress has more fun than this. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. The Looking at the flashback cells, they seem to come in two varieties. They come in either very cheap, very tiny little cool tricks, like maybe saving grasp, for example, where you pay a blue to return a creature and then flash it back for a white. Or it's things that have huge effects, like so their flashbacks are really big. So you have like the increasing cycle where it's like, you know, four or five and then it becomes like seven or eight or nine to to flash it back. You don't have too much of those do something efficiently and then doing it do it efficiently for just a little more mana. There aren't too many that fit into that yeah. role of flashback. No chain is edicts this time around. Yeah. I guess and, and also I think I think probably the one of the things I think they didn't want to do a flashback counterspell because that would just be an, I can feel a lot of people being annoyed by that. Because then there's no guessing game. You know they have the counter, so you have to sit around and wait for something to throw into it that they're gonna want to counter so you can resolve something else. Sebastian, how about you? Well, I actually think that the set's obviously very well made, and congratulations again to um, to Wizard of the Coast for another great game. I really want a card named Dark Ascension. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's no, I mean, like, let's just be honest here. Like, we haven't really had a really cool name like Dark Ascension, like that could be on a card in a really long time, like Judgment, like something, stuff like those cards have like awesome names that are not just flavor within the within the set, but could also be used as like a ways a means or ways to uh, make that card in the set. I just like I love it when people say the name of the movie in the movie, and I love it when pe- there's the name of the card in the set. So I was I was really hoping for some kind of really cool spell that like brought all your like things back from the grave or flipped all the cards or something like really cool like that as part and just called it Dark Ascension. Um, but maybe who knows? Maybe we'll get that in um, the next set. Hopefully, yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> well, they kind of have unfortunately they have a zombie apocalypse, which is for one particular tribe, kind of the the ascension of darkness in that. Agreed, but I mean, having a card named <laughs> Dark Ascension would have been great. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there. Just a hope and a dream. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if any of our wonderful listeners out there have any ideas of Maybe things you expected to be in the set or that you surprised they didn't include. Please don't say Tarmogoyf. Um, then you can go ahead and leave us a comment in the show notes and have a shot to win this week's prize, which is super fancy, and that is foil playset of Repeal. Again, I would totally want these. Yeah. And again, I can't compete. Yeah. Yep, fun and fancy cards. So, uh, you know, see what you come up with and leave us a note. And be sure to include your Magic Online username. In your yeah. response. Also, Mad Math, is that like a tag on like Malfagor, or is that just like math spelled with a PH? I'd, I'd just love to know. Yeah. Like Mad Max with a lisp, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Mad, mad Meth. <laughs> okay. Well, that should just about wrap up uh, this week's podcast. Yep. Uh, AJ, what you been playing? 
I've been dabbling a bit with vampires, but to no great effect. Um, uh, didn't take part in the uh, weekend event. Ah, gotcha. Busy week. You'll need your uh, your captains, I guess, before you can get vampires there. Oh, possibly. Um, I, don't, I tend to prefer uh, vampires monocolored, either red aggro or um, black generic. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Sebastian, what you been playing? I actually haven't been able to play a lot, and it's it's unfortunate because I think uh, unless I win, I think like was like twelve qualifier points in the next two days, I won't be able to qualify. <laughs> Couple days. Like yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's it's unfortunate. It's gonna be the first mocks I haven't qualified for, I think ever. I'm gonna have wow. to check on that, but uh, I mean it's it's life happens, and so I've been unable to uh, play a ton in terms of like what I want to play. Obviously, I don't play the cloud deck. The what deck? The Death Cloud deck? Mm-hmm. I didn't know you were a fan of the card. <laughs> Always a fan. Gotcha. Uh, and as for me, I love my aggro decks, so I've been playing a lot of Affinity uh, in Modern. It's just a really fun deck, and I did I did play it quite a bit back in the original era of Affinity. Oddly enough, I've, I've been having a weird streak. I've just been doing really, really great in two-mans, but I cannot do well in a daily event to save my life uh, with Affinity. And it's like the same deck list, and it's really annoying. At one point uh, in this week, I had a 17-game winning streak in two-man events and had lost five and had not moneyed in five daily events in a row. Could it be possibly that people are able to watch the replays and therefore adjust to your Affinity strategy going in? I don't know. Like, I, I just... Maybe I mean, in some... Like, like... Round one versus round two, three, and four, and see if you're winning your first round, but like losing your like later rounds. Yeah, and some of them has been. I mean, occasionally I do go like O2 barbecue, or I like lose the first one, win the next one, lose. And obviously, sometimes in two mans, you you play against people who are playing very subpar decks, or they're playing experimental decks that aren't quite ready to be out in the actual daily event. So there's some variance, I'm sure, in the play skill of my opponents and the deck quality of my opponents. But it's just weird to have such a huge discrepancy where I can be like twenty five and three in uh two man event in two mans, but like one and seven for moneying dailies. Agreed. So. I, I mean I always <laughs> found like when you're playing strategies like that, it's it's so weird because if people can watch like replays and be like, Oh I know yeah, do. But I mean but on that same token, like I've actually I've had several times like in the two man queues where I'll play the same person two or three times in a row. Like, we'll finish a match, and then oh, we'll both join the queue, and you play him again, and I'll beat that same person two or three times in a row. I feel kind of bad, <laughs> but... It feels awful. I've done, like, I've done that to a friend of mine in a gold queue, and so we've agreed not to enter at the same time hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, you let me know when you've started a match, so now I can jump in. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awful. Yeah. Ugh, yeah, but it's it's really weird, but I, I mean, I'll still love the deck. I'll keep sticking with it and see if I can't fix that. <laughs> Alright. I think that's just about everything we've got for this week. Yep, that'll probably cover it. Hopefully we'll have some um, some big major announcements so we can talk about something other than uh, Dark Ascension because we really can't rehash it that much more now. Yep. Alright, so uh, until next time, keep on seeing those cards. Alright. Later, everyone. Have a good week, everybody. Don't not pass. Goodbye. <laughs>